What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Artists of Data Science Open Office Hour. How's everybody doing? Super excited to have you guys here. Just want to open up with the usual um, message that I have from my friend Giuseppe Bonacarso talking about what it is that a mentor actually is, right? So remember, mentor is neither a professor nor a master. It's more just like a friend that can support you, not necessarily a repository of all knowledge. Um, and I like don't even place myself in either category of professor nor master. We're not substitutes for books, Stack Overflow, or anything else that can help you solve a problem autonomously. Um, whatever you can achieve without any direct help, that's really just the new summit that you have reached. Uh, I'm here to mostly to share my experiences with you and um, whatever knowledge I can. Um, not going to influence any important decisions for you, but I will definitely help walk you through them. And um, you might have me or hear me ask questions of you just so we can figure out what it is that's going on. Um, so these words are are from a post that Giuseppe Bonacarso had written a while back. And I think he really encapsulates what a mentor is quite nicely. Um, so hopefully everybody got a chance to check out the Artists of Data Science podcast this week. We had a couple of really awesome releases on Monday, actually releasing an episode with Giuseppe Bonacarso himself, uh, action-packed, hour-and-a-half-long episode where we talked about everything from best practices for feature engineering, feature selection, regularization, how to perform cross-validation, really, really technically heavy um, episode, but he also presented things in such an approachable manner. This week also had a episode released with Ashley M. Scott, the data girl herself, talking about her journey into data science. Uh, that was a really awesome episode as well. So hopefully you guys got a chance to check that out. If not, make sure you go on to the Artists of Data Science, either on your favorite podcast app or on the website itself to check those out. Um, right now we've got a couple of people hanging out in office hours. Super excited to to chat with you guys. We got Harveer Apple and we got Haseen Mohammed in the in the house, man. How you guys doing? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm very good, thank you. How you guys doing, man? Uh, if you have any questions, I'm happy to 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 chat. I know Haseen. So you here. triggered something in me. Yeah. So you said that last episode where uh, for example you mentioned cross validation was a very highly technical episode. Um I'm kind of stuck in a spot where right now where I'm feeling like an imposter. I'm taking a machine learning course, like the apex course for my master's is machine learning for my specialization. And my fellow students, the conversations that they have about everything under the hood, I feel a little lost. But then when I have conversations about ML with my fellow colleagues who don't know as much, um, I can mention things like cross-validation and I can explain it really well, but it's not something they've ever seen before. So I'm trying to figure out what level am I at currently? Like I'm, I'm past the novice. I've done all the one-on-ones. I can go into a one-on-one lecture and be like, I already know this. I could probably give this talk. But then when I meet with, you know, I'm not going to say masters, but when I meet with fellow students who have spent a much longer time than me on this, um, I feel like, oh, snap, I know nothing. 
but maybe yeah. maybe i maybe i took a cup of water from the ocean that's about it yeah that's what it is man like it's always going to be like that and i would never compare myself to other data scientists based on knowledge just always it, it's going to sound cheesy and corny to say but you need to just compare yourself based on how much you've learned yesterday and how much you are willing to learn more because data science man like you will continue learning all throughout your career um and that's the wonderful thing about this field uh, lifelong learning that's what this field is all about so if you're wondering what level you're at then what level are you getting paid at right so are you getting mm -hmm. paid like are you just entry level or i mean you're the level that you're getting paid for and by that measure that's what you got to go for so I'm a software engineer, been one for about eight years. Uh, I'm currently an engineering team lead at a software consultancy in Chicago. So that's where I am mm -hmm. as a software engineer. But as a machine learner, this is like a pivot in my career where I'm trying to specialize, where I'm not trying to be just a software engineer. I'm trying to be software engineer plus ML engineer, trying to create a space for myself. So I'm coming in at like, you know, high level engineer, low level ML engineer. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, I mean, you're set up very, very nicely for that transition, right? So, I mean, from where you are right now, you're trying to get into the ML engineer position. If you want to bridge the gap, so to speak, a, mm -hmm. well, I mean, just my opinion, take it with a grain of salt, like sure. a smooth transition for you might be just getting into a data engineer role, right? Because once you're in a data engineer role, all of a sudden you're on a data science team. Right, and you're solving data science problems, and you've got you've got you're rubbing shoulders with ML engineers with data scientists, right? Um, mm -hmm. Inevitably, what's going to happen? You guys will probably do pair programming. You'll probably be picking the brain for knowledge. Probably be doing lunch and learns. Um, you'll be on a data focused team, whereas you know if you're just on a general software engineering team, you might not get that same exposure. So that might be that smooth transition. Um, just you know, make it really easy for you. So I'm trying to grassroots something within my organization and build out like a, a data team. So I have folks who are interested, folks who have done data warehousing, folks who have done some ML, you know, side projects, nothing in production. Um, you, do you think it's worth it to try and grassroots without someone at a senior level ML engineer kind of just yeah. us floundering around? You, you know? don't, you don't need like somebody that's a super genius in data science and machine learning to make something work. Right. Mm -hmm. you get a shit ton done and contribute a lot of value with just like linear regression. Like you don't need to have right. the fanciest biggest technique, right? Like you just need to have some pipeline engineer to go from data to decisions. Right. Cool. And you, like, I feel and, pretty and confident culture. that we can, I feel pretty confident that we can pull that off from, you know, all the way left on the timeline, preparing that data all the way to the right to getting into production. It's just, where does our credibility lie? Cause we haven't done it, nor do we have people who've done it in production. So is this just our hello world? Yeah, that's know? completely fine. Your credibility is going to lie with how much money you make the company or how much you save the company at the end of the day. Right. Right. That's what the credibility is. Cool. Um, and it's not, you don't need no outside validation from anybody else. Like if you are doing data science in your organization and you're getting paid and you're making your organization money, then, then that's it. That's, that's that. It. That's the report card right there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Like anything else can you, as you come across more difficult techniques or rather more difficult problems that will require more advanced techniques, then you learn them on the fly. You learn them on demand. Right. Cool. 
but yeah, so, that's, that's the report card right there, man. Like that's the benchmark. <laughs> I would say if you're, if you're able to make money for your company, save money for your company, uh, and you're getting paid to do data science work, then yeah. Nice. So then uh, I think I mentioned this in the Slack. So then how do you find a problem worth solving? So I can, what I started doing this week was taking industries that were involved in uh, insurance or banking or credit unions um, and then just looking up what kind of problems ML can solve for the clients and then trying to find the smallest problem that I can solve out of that. Like for example, with banking, there's fraud detection. That's like one of the first ones that's mentioned with machine learning and banking. But there's entire firms and teams dedicated to fraud detection. What is little me going to be able to help out of that when there's like entire millions of dollars spent on fraud detection? What can I do as a smallest part of smallest problem solver for an industry? So are you working at a consulting company? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so I'm a consulting, I'm a software consultant, and then we have clients in all different spaces, all different industries. Well, lucky for you, we just had somebody drop in that is a consulting data scientist, Carlos Ooh. Mercado. He's in the house, ladies and gentlemen. We got Carlos here. Oh, Hi, Carlos. I just meant to say hey. I wasn't trying to bomb your thing. I was no, just, dude, you're, you're always welcome, man. You're always my, I can turn my video on. What's up? How's it going? Man? Yeah. I heard your question, Hasib. Uh I was going to actually just type in the chat. <laughs> that uh, you probably don't need to worry about being the smallest person in a problem statement. You can contribute in a lot of ways. Just like having a perspective is a contribution. Just having a separate background is a contribution. And also, no one has solved fraud detection in a way that's like applicable to every single company. Every company just has two unique of data structures and data architectures. So having a software background and having like any knowledge about a specific company and their financial issues, that's the contribution you make. Like, you're right, you're not gonna write a new PhD paper about fraud detection. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna like come up with control charts by yourself out of nowhere and like change the whole industry. But uh, yeah, you didn't, don't think it that way. Don't think like you don't have anything to contribute because you do. Like any experience at all could be like the big, big brain moment in a meeting that completely yeah, I think your audio went off or something happened. I think you pressed oh, the button in your hand. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's my end of my sentence. Nice. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I totally agree with that, man. Just it's all about what even little contributions that are in your head might not be in the heads of the people around you. And it might just spark something in everybody else's head and be like a chain reaction. And all of a sudden, you guys have a collaborative problem-solving session where now you're just contributing value. Cool. Hey guys, this is Harvey. Uh, sorry, my video is not working. Yeah, uh, no problem. Uh, one more thing, real quick. For you. Hasib, I will give you a scenario. So basically, yeah. I'm I'm into IT for the last 16 years now, right? And I was uh, managing one of the clients in Dallas. And uh, so over there, what we noticed was that uh, they had a uh, there was a system which was running on mainframes, right? And when I, when we looked into that, uh, what that system was doing, it was just a simple classification problem. Right. And so we just built a model over there. And that's how I got into data science. Right. And the reason why I'm here is because the problem that I'm facing is uh, after 16 years of work, when I apply for a data scientist position, a lot of people just take me as a senior guy. Right. And uh, the problem is then 
I do not have that kind of an experience in data science. I might have solved, uh, say, two or three problems here and there for companies. Uh, but like when I talk to, as Haseeb said, when I talk to anybody who's doing an MS in data science, they're at a different level altogether. Yeah, uh, that's, that's fine. Like, the, who cares what level anybody else is at, right? Like, if you are applying for jobs and you are getting interviews for senior level positions, then it's really not up to you to decide where you're at. You got to let the people who are interviewing you decide where you're at. Right. Mm -hmm. So like if just by thinking that, Oh man, like, I don't know this shit, man, somebody's going to, you know, they're, 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 you know I, don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. Like if you have that kind of mentality, then you're just going to shut yourself off to opportunities that might pop up. Right. Um, so at the end of the day, like it doesn't matter what everybody else knows. It just matters what the hell you are able to do for your company because all those other motherfuckers out there, they're not going to be able to come in and just step in for you and solve the problem for you. Right. That's really not how it works. So if you're applying for jobs and people or people are reaching out to you for senior level roles, do take that as a sign that, Oh, maybe I am senior. Right. Um, so yeah, definitely go for it, man. Like, apply for those roles if you get a call like that's feedback that's real life feedback right apply for those roles if you end up getting calls back and you end up getting interviews and you progress along in those interviews then you need to be confident that you've got what it takes to succeed right because people are not going to just carve out time from, from their schedules and their colleague schedules to interview people that are going to be a waste of time right mm -hmm. um so take the fact that you're getting interviews, if you are, um, as a sign, positive sign. And just to add to that, remember that the people who are paying, just remember the people who are paying for your skills are business people who, for them, IT might just be an entire thing they don't understand. So like, you might not need to know that it's a bunch of complex stuff. Uh, to wow them and to make value happen. So don't like, you're like, you're thinking I had to compete with other data scientists and you need to switch to I'm competing with the person who's going to pay for me as a service or not. And I, I'm the only competition is whether or not I can prove to them that I can contribute. Cause yeah, I mean like, dude, none of us compete with like the chief data scientists of our studio. Like none of us compete with the people who write, like homebrew and like sick packages used by Google, like you don't have to compete with them. Yeah. And you still get paid by not competing with them. Right. Um, so I actually uh, like this concept, this with a theme that we've been talking about, I actually talked a lot about this with Brandon Quatch uh, in an interview. I linked it right here and he was talking about, okay, like, how do I compare myself to other data scientists? How do I figure out where I fall in the spectrum? Um, so definitely check, that interview out i think you you'll enjoy it based on on what i'm hearing right now so um, check that out i will do thank you for the link yeah um but yeah great question guys like uh just it's, it's useful to not have a self-defeating attitude just don't don't have one all right so we got there's a couple other people in the chat i don't know what happened to them but we got um karina how's it going Silence means good. Yeah, if, if you don't got a question, that's all good. No worries. Um, so I got an opportunity to uh, be on a LinkedIn Live earlier today with a bunch of cool people. I was on there with uh, Kate Strachney and company. So that's 
first time I've ever been on a LinkedIn Live. Uh, so if you guys got a chance to check that out, um, go check it out. I think it should be up on her YouTube soon. It might already be up on her LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, it was a cool episode just talking about um, like brand building and personal branding and data science and posting content, stuff like that. Um, so yeah. It's pretty wicked. I started making some flyers this week because I wanted folks to start reaching out to me to talk about ML problems that they might have or any kind of data problems that they might be having at their client uh, in the sort of marketing way. Like, hey, by the way, these are things that I can do. And I started listing out the small problems. Uh, this is the industry. Email me. So I will definitely check out that LinkedIn Live you got. Yeah. Um, so tell me more about like, like what, what, what these flyers are. Like, are you, how's your, what's your approach like? So uh, our company, we like to take care of goals every quarter. Small goals, something that is not so small, you take care of it in a weekend or two weeks. Something that's long enough that you can measure it across three, two, three months. And so my idea was if I can make like a dozen different flyers that say, how can machine learning help my industry and just list out the industries that we are poking at. And again, finding the smallest problem that I'm confident in solving with, you know, examples, um, uh, credit risk, for instance, if you have the data set for your, uh, your approved and denied loan applications, you already have all your attributes for what constitutes an approved and what constitutes a denied. So if you have that ready, then I can just go in and build a model off of something that says, you know, give you X amount of accuracy on who should approve a loan. Um, and then just putting those sample like pseudo case studies out there with my email on them and then just, you know, send them out on LinkedIn, just send them out wherever, wherever I can get eyes on it, find you, interested people. Have you thought about like flipping that around just a little bit and instead what of, you got? instead of putting out like, here's all the things I could do for you, pick targeted companies or targeted organizations that um, you think might not have this capability in house, but that you could deliver service and kind of research what they're about and come up with some ideas for them. Be like, here's some ideas that your particular company and your particular industry might be facing that I might be able to solve for you. Right? So is not business domain knowledge also super useful? So I'm totally happy targeting, you know, small to mid-sized companies in a particular industry where they all kind of have the same exact problem, but they don't actually talk to each other to figure it out. Um, uh, for example, passing around your 401k information when companies roll over from one, one company to another, they'll send all the money, but they might not send the entire profile of the person. They'll send like name social, but they won't send beneficiaries. That's a space where there, there's problems between communication. Um, same idea without knowing the business domain problems, you know, is it worth targeting? So think of it like this you pick up a fiction book, right? You know, for a fact that you're going to expect some things in this fiction book, there's going to be pages for sure, probably organized in a logical fashion with chapters. There's likely going to be characters. There's likely going to be some conflict. There are likely going to be a conflict. There'll be a beginning, middle, and you know, all this stuff already without the actual context of what's going on. So you're going into it and you're kind of knowing what to expect. And as you work your way through the book, everything kind of fills in, right? So think about it in that way, right? And that's what the business context is. 
Hopefully that metaphor gotta, makes sense. I got to give you mad props for answering questions very simplistically so that people can understand. It's real nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's like, relax, bro. Just relax. <laughs> yeah. So I try. So I try. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate no it. Hopefully that metaphor or some, I don't know what the hell, what literary device that was. Hopefully that made sense. What else did you guys talk about this morning in that LinkedIn Live? Um, yeah, mostly just about like the fear people have with posting stuff online um, and kind of our journeys and posting stuff online. And I was like, dude, I, I didn't even ease into posting online. Like I literally posted nothing in maybe a year and a half. Like I, I didn't start posting until probably April and my posts were just automatically just podcast stuff, right? Like before then it was very, very minimal. And now it's just like, I just post whatever, whatever. Um, interesting stuff. I try to unlock ideas from things and put them out there. And hopefully the ideas collide with other people and, you know, they take something away from it. Um, but yeah, that was mostly what it was all about. Just not be afraid of posting, not be afraid of building your brand to build your credibility and reputation in the industry. Um, yeah, it's a great talk. And I mean, like LinkedIn is, is awesome. Like I would not be where I am today if it was not for LinkedIn. Um, straight up, man. Like, like if I had not signed up for LinkedIn, I signed up a long time ago, but I wasn't really active until 2018, right? And if I wasn't active on LinkedIn, I probably would have never heard of Kyle McHugh. If I didn't hear of Kyle McHugh, I probably would have never signed up for Data Science Dream Job. If I didn't sign up for Data Science Dream Job, I would have never have known how to make that transition into um, data science from biostatistics. And I probably would have never have been exposed to some really important concepts that just changed my worldview forever. Um, and if that didn't happen, I just wouldn't have just achieved the level of success I've had and Obviously, if I didn't join Data Science Dream Job, I wouldn't have become a mentor. I wouldn't have become head mentor, principal mentor. I wouldn't have started a podcast. I wouldn't have been able to reach out to other data scientists. And like all this stuff is just from LinkedIn. Like it's, it's mind boggling. Like if, if there was no, like the counterfactual universe is me just never signing up for LinkedIn, I would have been stuck as a miserable biostatistician. I mean, I'm sure people, there's people out there who love that field. I fucking hated it. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to think about these counterfactuals that way. But yeah, um, LinkedIn is awesome. And if anybody from LinkedIn is listening, uh, my podcast is open for sponsorship. Um, so just putting it out there. Audible too. If anybody from Audible is listening, I like I love Audible. I listen to a lot of your books. Um, a lot of books on Audible. So also open for sponsorship in that. So Karina, yeah, if you got a question, you don't you don't need to like uh no worries about turning on the camera. You can just always unmute yourself. Um and that is completely fine. What else is going on, man? How's how's your week been, Carlos? Uh I don't even know if you can see me right now. Yeah, I see you. Oh, okay. Yep. Burned out, man. For real. <laughs> For real. Just, Watch the presidential debates. I've seen better behaved monkeys at the National Zoo. Yeah, I didn't watch it at all, man. Like, and like, no wonder you're so peppy. It was. It just, was. It was, hard. It it was a train every day. Yeah, I know you're, you're in Canada. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was, the CNN said it was a hot mess in a train wreck wrapped in like a dumpster a fire storm or something like they had the worst a dumpster fire. Yeah. That was like the official CNN response to them. anyway. So that's just destroyed my week. And then living in DC makes it worse too. Cause it's just like all the events that are happening. You like, you go there like, Oh yeah, they had a huge party on the South lawn for Supreme court nomination and a hundred people got infected. And you're like, Oh, I go to the South lawn. Like that's, I work three. It's been a headache week. Um, figuring out what you can't do in R effectively trying to make like some pretty ugly charts, like donut charts <laughs> for, um, for some like internal stuff that we're doing. And I'm just like, Oh, these donut charts look whack. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to like make parameterized visualizations. Like I'm so surprised at how difficult it is. Like you want a donut chart and you don't know if you want some months you want four, some months you're going to have eight splits because it's a function of some other parameter. You need the donut chart to change responsive to the number of cuts you have. You need the, the leader lines to be aesthetic, no matter how many cuts there are. You need the subtext boxes of the headers of the leader lines to be like really clean no matter how long they are. And it's just like, it's so funny that there's like not an AI ML like tool that like does these kinds of things. Cause these are the things that businesses waste a lot of time on is like, let me get my data, put it in Excel, Excel chart. You know what the official guidance is to do a donut chart in Excel, by the way, no. it's you make a pie chart, then you layer on the donut chart, then you use the pie charts, leader lines, and then you hide the pie chart. So the pie no. charts leader lines are on top of the Excel chart because Excel donut charts can't do leader lines. And like, like that's what business people are doing. They're like just hacking products to get like basic visuals. And then you guys are wondering how you can contribute with all your skills. It's like, dude, the business world, these people are like, there's some low hanging fruit. And I don't say that because anyone's bad at their job. I say it just cause like there's the realities of the limits of these tools and like people's training and parameterizing and automating their workflows. Like people don't have those skills. So, you know, anyway, that's been my week so far. It's like finding out how crazy hard it is to live the life of like business person who needs to give basic descriptive statistics to their people in an automated way. And that's like still not easy to do. Yeah, no, it's pretty, pretty tough. Like I've been messing around with uh, Databricks this week. Um, finally, a, I get this email every week. We'll give you fifteen dollars to give us a deep review of Databricks, and I'm like, yeah. I have never used this. Why do you have my email? <laughs> Databricks oh. is nice, man. I, I like it so far. It's it's, um, it's cool. ML flow is is looking really nice too for segmentation because I used to do all that shit just manually by like hand. I didn't know that these cool tools existed until recently, so that's been quite nice. And um, so there's, I don't know if, the, if there's an equivalent for R, but uh, in Python, there's paper mill and that's for parameterized notebooks. And I, so there it's, it Markdown has parameterized notebooks. Yeah. It, it's um, developed by Netflix. And I think it, they have, they obviously they support more than just Python, but that might be something worth looking into. Oh, wait, Netflix is Metaflow? Or is that oh, not related to that? This is a pa paper mill. I think it's developed by Netflix. I might be completely wrong on yeah. that. I know Netflix came out with Metaflow. I don't do Python, which is a whole so does, thing. Does Netflix share notebooks in production for 
you know, whatever dashboard they're trying to do. Is the notebook their dashboard? Is that why they parameterized it? I think, I think a so. lot of people are moving to the idea, like, notebooks are bad. Like, in general, notebooks are bad. But so many people learn data science through Python, through notebooks, and they only yeah. know how to do notebooks. They don't know how to do anything else. They don't know how to write scripts that source across. They don't know how to do any of that stuff. They just, like, IPYMB. And so now it's getting really, really popular to just plug the hole at the end and make it easy to like deploy notebooks as models. That's how Streamly got created. It's like notebooks as shiny dashboards. It's just a notebook, but we have a bunch of strategic caching so you don't have to constantly rerun stuff. And we have some UI and it's like, this is like a hugely useful tool in some way, just like filling up the problems of notebooks. So yeah, I mean, I think that's, coming for sure yes what i was doing on databricks i've got a model in production so i need to monitor the health of this thing what it's doing um so i was like all right well in databricks i can create a scheduled notebooks that will just i don't have to run it manually every couple of weeks uh so figuring out how to do that it's been pretty pretty fun enjoying it is, is it free now we got the so we use Azure at work. So I got Databricks on Azure and it was, uh, got the premium tier because. Why not? Why not? Yeah. So I, I threw a link to my first talk in the chat. Um, and in there, I don't trash notebooks, but I explain how notebooks are great for in the beginning, but then uh, you want to switch to a software engineering methodology and actually put that stuff into real files. Mm -hmm. Again, notebooks, everyone learned on it. That's the first easiest way. State's frozen. You get everything right in front of you. So it's real useful for nice noobs. Yeah, I'll definitely I'll, uh, link this into the show notes for this episode as well. And uh, cool. link back on YouTube. Yeah, notebooks are, are great for just exploration, I think, right? Like it's really, I mean, I guess you can automate your exploration. I don't like them for that either. Yeah. And I think so, maybe I just don't know what I'm doing. But like I got so used to our studio having like, Here's your console. Here's your environment. Here's all your other environments through package namespaces. Here's your script. And switching to VS Code or Jupyter Notebook, and I'm just like, where's my console at? Like, where's my environment tracking? Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's Ooh. not. It's not the same. You should watch my talk. I know. So VS Code I, has, I just saved it. <laughs> uh, VS Code has. You can load all your Conda environments on there one click, and you can switch between them. Integrated console. You can see your output right there. They also have integrated notebooks if you wanted to run something on the fly. Like VS Code has come a long way for Python development. Now that that's all I use. That and Collab when I want to quickly, quickly share something with someone. Nice. Yeah, definitely. All, I'll have to check that out. Because when I downloaded my VS Code plugin thinking it would give me console, it just gave me a Jupyter notebook in window to like run chunks and see chunk outputs. And I was like, this is not what I think it is. So I'll definitely watch your talk. I do need to learn Python. Yeah. I was, that's one point I was making uh, earlier today in that, uh, in that meeting with a LinkedIn live session, uh, somebody asked to settle the Python versus R debate. And I was like, look, man, like you don't need to be the best at Python. You don't need to be the best at R. You can be good enough in both to solve problems, right? Like you could just put a hundred random people, into a room. You should be excellent in one and then yeah. usable in the other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's not even that hard to, to learn them. It's just time, right? It'll take, if, if you spend three months focus on either one of those, you'll be 
pretty good, right? Like you'll be able to get shit done um, and contribute value. I'm still trying to figure out, I'm actually, I'm still kind of trying to figure out the curve for that because I've been doing R for like four years and I'm still constantly learning stuff. And then I, and now that I have a mentee that I'm like teaching him R and like seeing what he's doing in a senior design class and all the stuff he's doing, I'm like, oh, you're like, you get pretty good at the syntax. But it's crazy to me that like how many hours he's put in and how much better he's gotten and how big the gap still is. And I'm just like, so I, I wonder if we could get that more formalized. Like by three months, you should be able to do these things. And by like two years, you should be able to do these things. Because I, I see the boot camp say three months and it's like in three months, you could get hired and be usable. But your first year is going to suck. Your first year is going to suck. It's going to be Google and Stack Overflow for everything. You'll never make a commit on time. Like, you're never going to get through a deadline. Like, I don't know. You'll be leaning on your senior forever for that entire year. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, some benchmarks for, like, you know, knowing Python, knowing R. Like, all right, well, if you are three months into using this particular software, here's some things that you for sure need to be able to do. I like that idea. Well, we know what the, we know some of it because it's like, you know, the things that are bad to do. If you don't use version control, it's a bad thing to do. But even then, it's like it's just a such a deep well that you don't know how far you need to go. Like even with Git, like I use Git, but I don't do cherry picks or fetches or like the side branch or a stash. I don't do stashes. And it's just like, there's just so much depth possible, which probably is so confusing too, to like, you don't even know how to even get a job in this field. Cause it's like, Oh, I know these 15 things. Okay. There's 400 things that could be done. How do my 15 line up to where I could get a job? Yeah. I mean, so for me, like coming from biostats role, right? Like previous prior to becoming data scientist, I was, you know, all biostats. So my, language I was using was primarily SAS, S-A-S, and I used R as well. And yeah, I hated SAS. I also like all throughout undergrad and grad school is just R, but I'm old. So there was no such thing as R studio when I was in undergrad and grad school. Um, so it was just R console. Um, and in terms of like just the tech, like IT type of stuff, like I didn't know any of that shit two years ago. Like, like, Git didn't even know what the hell that was. Didn't know how to work out of Linux or Bash or anything like that. And it was a huge learning curve, but I knew enough and I was able to learn quickly enough that I could just start contributing value quickly. Right. So I've discovered my superpowers. Like, all right, well, I'm a statistician. I you know, went to grad school for statistics, worked as a clinical trial statistician for almost five years. So I know that shit. Let me see if I can get hired on that in my, charm and my ability to communicate and um, get things done and leverage that to get the first job. And then from there, just picking everyone's brain that was on my team. Like, Hey, what are you working on? Let me, let me look over your shoulder. Explain this to me. Oh, you're doing this thing. Let me do some pair programming with you and just learn from everyone. Right. Um, That's something people don't do. Seriously. I know like, uh, you know, we're hiring all the time. And actually just, I think it was this week, someone messaged me and, you know, before COVID, I was a person on our team who would meet every single new hire. So I'm just like, I want to know everybody on the team just because I just need to know. I need to know that there's someone who has a skill set. So when I have a problem, I can go to that person. Like, it's just a thing I have. 
Um, and she messaged me. I didn't know who she was. I was like, wow, we've been in COVID so long that I haven't been in my office in like seven months. We're hiring people who we've never met. I didn't give them the walk around. So sad. Anyway, she messages me and I was like, well, when did you join the team? And she's like, oh, in June. I'm like, bro, like you, that's too late. You can't wait for like five months to start trying to find out how you can get into new activities and how you can join like our, you know, we have a journal club, we have a marketing team, we have technical sales, we have all these groups. And I'm just like, dang, it took her five months. And I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just like, it's just, that's how long it took to feel comfortable to like reach out and find out activities. And that's something on our end that I think I need to do more of. It's just like, I need to give people opportunities in their first 30 days so that while they're still fresh, they can get all that learning they need to do. Cause you imagine if it took you six months to do your first pair of programming. Yeah. Like you would have been bad for six months. So at our company, we're real flat. We have one manager and then all the consultants are under her. And then, uh, but we also have an advisor program. So when a new hire comes on, one of the senior guys takes them under their wing. And then in the first 30 days, they accomplish this amount of things, learn about the company, learn about the culture. And then over the next six months, you know, we have them read certain books and join certain clubs if they want to, or join certain practices, like guide them through to learn the culture of our, our company, which is why I'm not coming in here and asking, how do I get a data science job? Cause I love my company. It's a really good company. So I'm just trying to grassroots data science into it and be like, all right, you guys are now a data science company. <laughs> yeah. That's entrepreneurship. Yeah, exactly. Entrepreneurship is huge, man. I talked to a lot of uh, guests on my podcast about that. Um, I'll be writing up a piece about that soon as well. I'm getting into the blogging space very soon, uh, writing some stuff up, adding in some new things to the data me. science. Sorry? Oh. Uh, you yeah. gonna be on Medium soon? Well, I got I got my show notes and stuff on Medium, but um, I'm gonna just host my own website, cross-publish to other websites as well, uh, and just start writing on on topics that I find interesting, colliding concepts with data science, and hopefully coming up with something that people find interesting. Uh, pretty soon, there will be seven episodes a week of the Artist of Data Science, uh, two flagship episodes that are. Um, the interviews, the longer form interviews, and the rest of the, the week will be episodes between two to two to 15 minutes at the most. Um, just, you know, there'll be everything ranging from uh, little summaries of books by authors that have been on my show, my take on them. Uh, there'll also be random stuff like uh, what I've learned from a book rather than just, okay, here's the facts from that book. Here's what I learned from that book, how I applied it to my life. Uh, I might even be dropping some fucking poetry, reading y'all some poetry. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, just things like that. Yeah. Small, short, kinda, little, short little episodes. What kind of data are you collecting on your listeners? Um, I just have their demographic data from, uh, Spotify's got the best metrics for that. There's no way you have mine. I'm getting, I'm watching from your fireside.fm. There's no way I'm like watching an incognito. So you're missing out on what I am. How can I help you with that? Yeah. So from fireside, um, all I get is 
well, I mean, like on Fireside analytics through from all the different uh, platforms, all I get is like geographic information and downloads and stuff. But I, uh, I gave the password to Fireside to my cousin because I'm not checking download numbers anymore uh, because that's just too much of a, of a dopamine hit going in there, seeing those numbers climb up. I'm just focused on trying to make the best podcast possible, deliver uh, the most amazing content I possibly could on things that I find interesting that hopefully you guys find interesting because I know there's a lot of people listening. So, um, and I'm, I, I think the content might be good because I just got notified that feed spot had featured me as one of the top 10 data science podcasts, which I was like, hey, congratulations. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Carlos uh, poll listeners. Yeah, definitely. Um, so like I was saying before, like uh, anybody who signs up for open office hours, um, you know, it's, it's said in the registration that uh, you're agreeing to join my email list. Everybody that's joined the Slack community also joined the email list. Uh, pretty soon I will be having more interaction with you guys. You'll be seeing or hearing from me at least twice a month. Um, and I'd hope to hear from you too. And if, you know, like you guys that shout my email out every episode. Um, so send me an email. Let me know what you guys think. So yeah, um, yeah. Poll, poll the interviews. Uh, so Carlos is saying, poll listeners at the end of every episode have survey links. Uh, yeah, definitely attach a URL. Then ask questions around what they liked or dislike. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea, actually. Um, yeah, I didn't think of that. I just feel like, so like because right now, I when you say poetry and stuff, I'm like that is really cool. But like your podcast, you're trying to expand it from data science. So you just need to know how hard is that going to be? Mm -hmm. So you need to understand like, to what extent is my customer here for data science? To what extent are they here for books? To what extent are they here for cool anecdotes? And if you just pick three or four categories, but you you do need to know like which segment your customers are in, because otherwise what will happen to you is you'll just take one step too far away from your core product your viewership will just plummet or people will just stop listening it's not going to be a slow thing like that's not how these things work it's not gonna be like oh i took a wrong turn i'm down two percent it's gonna be like i've been taking wrong turns for a while i've seen one two percent drops for a while and suddenly like my core base is like 15 percent smaller so like yeah it's gonna avoid losing that's like that's the number one thing i can say don't worry about winning a bunch of people all the time. Just avoid losses. Yeah. No, that's uh, the loss aversion is real. Isn't that concept from behavioral economics? Loss aversion. Yeah. People, well, that's a, that's a you not looking at your downloads because you're scared to see them go down. No, they, they keep going up. It's just, <laughs> I know they do. I know they do. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. So you guys be prepared to hear me shout out a poll. Um, but yeah, I'll be, because I interview a lot of amazing authors and I've got a lot scheduled up over the next several weeks. Um, obviously not just data science books, just the authors that write a lot of really interesting books. Um, and I've been doing it a little bit on LinkedIn where I'll be uh, taking snippets of a author's book over the course of the week and posting it on LinkedIn, uh, but they don't seem to get the traction that I thought they would. Uh, they'll probably only get, you know, views in like the low hundreds. Um, 
So I have some, you. I have some recommendations on that. If yeah. you want help on those separately. Yeah, absolutely, man. Love to hear that. Um, but yeah, so I figured, okay, well, I could take those uh, write-ups and just speak them as an episode and release it. And there'll be like little two minute episodes uh, of me just reading a little section of that book, not, not reading the section of the book, but reading that summary of that section of that book, uh, unlocking the, the gold nuggets. All right. So this is a, uh, this is going to have a lot of dead air on the uh, podcast episode. So apologize for you listeners. Not a lot of people hanging out today. Karina, if you got questions, definitely feel free to jump in at any moment. Um, don't want you to think that you got to wait. Uh, and if, if you want, you can always type out your question and put it right have, there into the chat. Have you read the book by Alex Castrana's AI for People in Business? I've not read that. That sounds like an interesting title. I'll send you the link. So he's actually in the middle of trying to build up his YouTube channel. Um, he's been putting out two, three minute episodes almost daily. And he posts constantly on LinkedIn. I'm sure he'd appreciate being on your show. And then both of you guys can kind of help each other out with the extra linkage here and there. Yeah, definitely. How do you spell his last name? Or you listen to it? Yeah, I'll, I'll link okay. it to you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, man. If anybody wants to come on the show, feel free to send me an email and um, we can get some sorted out. Hey, how, pretty, how do you choose whether or not to do a podcast for someone else or do you not do them? Uh, like go on other people's shows? Yeah. I haven't really put myself out there, like reach out to people like, hey, put me on your show. Um, so that's never happened. Nobody's ever approached me either to be on the show. Um, so I guess I could start. Well, I, I use a, an app called Pod Match. Uh, there's Pod Match and there's Podcast Matchmaker. Is Tinder for podcasts? Is this real? Yeah, it's it's a thing, man. Like I've uh, I've gotten a couple of interesting people on my show from uh, from Podcast Matchmaker, um, and I've created a uh, profile for the show itself. But I need to create a profile for myself so I can get on other people's show. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to be on other people's data science podcasts. So if you're a data science podcaster listening, holler at me. Would love to come on your show. That's wild. I'm such a slow with LinkedIn and all this stuff. I'm just hearing people do. I'm like, y'all have apps, bro. Like I'm so behind. I'm never going to be a LinkedIn influencer, bro. I'm never going to yeah. think it out. Well, it's not really an app. It's just like a, a website. Yeah. I see people post some data science stuff and like within an hour, 400,000 likes and shares. Some people just have that kind of pull. Yeah. I guess for me, I'll post things that I find interesting or little snippets or tidbits of information from uh, the podcast itself, like quote graphics and stuff like that. Um, I think what, what I'm missing out on is that I'm not on the, I'm not on the cutting edge of pop AI. I don't say that to be mean. Like, I think pop AI is cool, but like, you know, the MIT robo dogs or GPT three or the Jeff Bezos playing with the surgery hands in a factory or whatever. Like, I'm just like, yo, this is cool short videos that show people what AI and robotics like can do. And like, I'm out here talking about root mean squared error. Like, like, of course I'm not going to be as successful as those guys. Like I should get more into what people want and like what's interpretable and 
know, cross audience. I don't know how to do that, but it's something I'm noticing is like the best, the best people at the stuff at the influencing are those who meet people where they are in terms of their like AI knowledge and like how it's relevant to their life and how it will change things in five years, et cetera. It's those, it's those level 100 talks that the layman can understand. They can just have an interest in ML, but they don't really need to know. Like they've never heard of root mean squared error. They're never going to hear it again, but they'll hear the talk on ML about how this dog can help bring you, you know, coffee. They'll be like, that's amazing. It's a robo-waiter. Why does everything got to be a robo-waiter too? It's like, why are we trying so hard to make robo-slaves? Like we're trying to Because we want to be served. (laughs) It's our flaw. Like what if, what if instead of a robo-dog bringing you coffee, it was coffee that could just come to you? You just had like, I don't know how to explain it, but I have this vision in my head that your house will just have like tubes all throughout your house. And you'll just say, house, I want this. I want my keys. And it will just use a tube to suck up your keys in one room and bring them to another room and just drop them. The house is like, your slave. No, <laughs> no. You foiled me. That was, you're right. I did just say you're going to live inside your slave. That's what I just said. Darn. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> Fundamental human flaw. Yeah. But I think when it comes to posting, man, like you could be, if like if influencer thing is, where you're trying to go, then yeah, meeting people where they are and just giving them more of what they want. Um, that's, that's good. But if you care about just reaching your core audience, like people that share a worldview similar to yours, then just put more of your worldview out there. I'm saying I do both. Got to do a little bit of both. Yeah. That's where I'm scrubbing out. I'm like data science. And then I'm like, but that's matter politics, anarcho-socialism. And then I'm like, oh, no one, no one likes my anarcho-socialist post. Okay. Oops. Yeah. I'm not like pulling people in. No, nobody likes my philosophy posts, so it's okay. I like them. <laughs> I, always, I dropped a like. Don't worry. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, like, you know, just got to keep it real, keep it true to yourself and just put out content that you can be proud of. And if it hits with people, that's good. Somebody, I forgot who it was, but there's a concept of 1,000 true fans. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm reading this book by Srinivas Rao, uh, The Small Army Strategy. And then there's another one that I've read. It's an ebook, but it's uh, The Unmistakable Guide to Building an Audience. Um, both of them have been really insightful. And Seth Godin talks about this a lot as well in his books, um, that you don't need to reach everybody, Right. Like my podcast could have just like a hundred listeners. And as long as I'm impacting them, providing value for them, I'm happy for that. Just link to talk I'm going to next week. The secrets of networking online and in person might be up your alley. Yeah, definitely check that out. Who's it hosted by? His name is Michael Roderick, CEO of Small Pond Enterprises. All right. I like that small pond enterprises. Right. Harpre, what are you doing right now in your day-to-day job? I still don't even know where you work and what you do. Uh, yeah, I work at Price Industries. It is a, a huge manufacturing organization. So I'm responsible for laying the foundations for a full-on data team. Uh, so I'm the first data scientist they hired. And yeah, it's a lot of work. I, a lot of I, work. I tell everybody, don't be the first. No, Am I, I wrong? First. No, I want to be the first. I mean, like... If, if, if your goal is like, like mine to be chief data scientist very rapidly and early in your career, uh, then you take these opportunities that are hard uh, and lay the foundation. And I'm fortunate enough to be at Price Industries, which is super supportive. They are freaking awesome. Um, and 
they, even though it's a manufacturing organization that uh, discrete manufacturing, they understand that data is what's going to take them into the future. It's going to be the differentiating factor. And uh, senior management is all on board for making data differentiator in 2021. Um, so now there's uh, an establishment of a center of excellence model for data science at the organization with me heading it up. Um, making some hires to support, having analysts report to me on a dotted line type of fashion. Um, all analysts at the organization, we're essentially, we're one giant company that's composed of like 16 smaller companies. So How much are you reading about uh, DevOps? Sorry? How much are you reading about DevOps right now? A uh, lot of ML ops for sure. Um, but we've got like a full on DevOps team as well. So like the software... So their customer-facing software they have, which reps in the field interact with, it's super strong. So there's a, there's a lot of software engineers in the organization um, and three or four in particular that have a real interest in machine learning and data science. And I've been able to tap into their um, expertise and skill so that I can help bring my ideas to life. And yeah, you know, we're able to deploy a model into production like me myself as a solo data scientist going from raw data to decisions to deployable model uh took me about five months on my own and then from there the actual setting up in the infrastructure and, and all that stuff from software engineering again that took them another two three months and it was the first time we've ever done it in the organization that's really fast yeah, with one person doing it, dude, fuck yeah, I was I was at work like for a good six months, man. I was at work from like six thirty AM to about five PM. I just just focused. Uh, it was an intense that's, amount of that's work. pre baby life, I bet. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely pre baby life, yeah. Um but yeah, so it was cool. So the model we ended up de- like the model that I came up with I did a uh Essentially, it's five models, and I take the average of the five models, and we serve the average prediction as a prediction in, 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 in the, the, the system. Um, but it's nice because simultaneously, I can see how each one of these individual models is performing um, and eventually narrow that down into just one that's performing, one or two that's performing best. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's a lot of learning because I mean, ML ops is like, okay, well that's some shit I've never had to do before. So I had to learn a lot about that. Um, like monitoring model health. Yeah. You build models all day long in Jupyter notebook and in, in your, your courses, nobody ever tells you what to do after the model is deployed and how to monitor its health. Um, and how to set thresholds before you put it in production so that you're not guessing if it's good or bad right now. Yeah. No, yeah. they don't. They don't teach. I never learned it. I still don't do it. I just know that I should do it, but I don't do it. Yeah, um, I didn't set any thresholds before. So uh, luckily, it's only been deployed for like a couple of months. But I got like a shit ton of data that um, that I can now go back and then make some sense of and start identifying thresholds going forward. Um, Sounds like you have a whole lot of not bandwidth that you need focus uh, folks on. You need a consulting company to come in? <laughs> let, me, let me know. Yeah, definitely, man. So, yeah, we're, we're teaming up with uh, with an organization that um, is not focused on tooling in particular because we've got 
pretty robust ecosystem on Azure for that. Uh, but it's just about the knowledge transfer. So, um, yeah, we're working with the organization that is focused on uh, it's knowledge transfer. Um, I'm not going to shout out names or anything because they don't pay me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. But I'm especially excited. I'm interviewing, uh, coming up in, a, in two weeks, I'm interviewing John Thompson, who wrote uh, Building uh, Data Science Teams or Building Analytics Teams, something like that. So I'm really looking forward to talking to him about that. Um, also coming up, I've, I'm interviewing some really cool people. Um, I'll just shout them out so you guys know. Like These episodes won't be released for a while, but I've got Nir Bashan, who wrote The Creator Mindset. Awesome book so far. Really enjoy that. I've got Christian Bush coming on later this week. He wrote The Serendipity Mindset. This book is amazing. I've got some books by authors that did not send me physical copies, but they gave me PDFs. That's fine. Uh, Fred Pellard, he wrote How to Be Strategic. That book is fucking dope. That book is so good. Um, Jeff Kreisler, he wrote a book with Dan Ariely. Um, so he'll, he's coming on the show as well. We're going to talk a little bit about um, money, behavioral economics, and things like that. Uh, I've also got an episode that I'm recording later this week with um, Dennis Rothman. Not, not this week, but next week. Dennis Rothman, he wrote Explainable AI. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting into his book. Uh, I've also got an interview coming up with Don Robertson, uh, who wrote How to Think Like a Roman Emperor and the uh, stoicism and the art of happiness. So a lot of really cool people coming on the show from um, a lot of really interesting domains, talking about a lot of interesting things. I interviewed somebody last night, uh, Professor Paul Thagard, he's a cognitive scientist and philosopher. Um, and so we had a good chat about AI ethics and things like that. Um, also interviewed... Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm releasing an interview with uh, Brendan Kumarasamy, and he has a uh, YouTube site called Master Your Talk. So we have an episode where it's all about how to master public speaking, how to get better at public speaking. Um, so we had a lot of cool stuff coming up. So very much so rebranded, like I said, as a personal development podcast, self-development podcast for data scientists, meaning... I'm talking to people who not only wrote data science books about data science things and data science authors, but I'm talking to people who wrote just books that just have interesting ideas that I think will benefit your guys' lives. Um, very high threshold for who, who I go for on the show. Like I spend uh, just researching guests, looking for guests, probably about 10 hours a week going through stuff, just outreach, trying to find the right, the right guests. Uh, and then for each interview, 10 to 12 hours of preparation for each interview. So it's shit ton of time. Um, but all that just to come up with the best show possible for you guys. So hopefully you're enjoying it. If you are, please feel free to leave a five-star review on Apple. Uh, you guys can also send me an email at theartistsofdatascience.com. Sorry, theartistsofdatascience at gmail.com. And I just realized... Yeah. Yep. Do you post a? Sorry, I'm totally interrupting. No, uh, over it. Do you post like you should add a Bitly link to this weekly thing that you do at the end of your podcast episodes? Yeah. Um, so in the show notes for the podcast, uh, there's always a link right back to the YouTube channel. Um, but what, 
I'm saying if you want to meet my guest and talk more, blah, 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 you should come to our weekly live sessions at bit.ly slash, you know, DS artist, and you click that, and it's like a calendar invite to this Zoom meeting. Okay. Uh, It's this new thing. Have you seen, like, a a lot of celebrities and singers now are putting in their personal cell phone numbers on their Instagram so people can text them, and they have staff who text back. And it's, like, you're just, like, bum-rushing people from a listener to, like, your friend. You just, like, pull them into being your friend pretty much. Okay. I don't know. Crazy idea. But, I mean, you already allocate an hour a week to this. Like, it's already on the books. So, like, what's the difference if, like, hey, I had a thousand listeners on my podcast and, like, three of them just randomly showed up to this. Like, anytime that you can find, like, oh, I have a ton of capacity at this slot, you should just, like, exploit that you have capacity and just send people to that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Man. Like the, I just read the Phoenix Project, so I'm all about the flows right now. Yeah, and yeah. Like, uh, const- yeah. Speaking of Phoenix Project, I'm trying to get Gene Kim on the show, so we'll see how that works out. Um, have you got? Week. Have you uh, gotten the guys from Swipe to Unlock on the show yet? Those uh-huh. guys are those guys are cool, and they're easy to get to. All right. Add that as well. So this is an idea journal where every every morning is part of my journaling process. I just write ideas and shit. Uh, if you don't have one, I think you need one, man, because you got you got ideas. This is good shit. Well, right, my go. whole job is to come up with ideas all day. Yeah. I don't need a journal. Just, <laughs> just throw them out into the wind, and someone will do it, like you. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of schedule to be here. It means a lot that you guys. Uh, especially Harvey and Karina, like you guys hanging out for, for an hour and just listen to us talk. Really appreciate it. Uh, this episode will be released on Sunday on the podcast and it'll also be uploaded to YouTube as well. Uh, links will be in the show notes, but I, I guess like you, you already know. Uh, but for everybody else listening right now, there's a link to YouTube. Cool. Take care, everybody. Have a good rest of the weekend. Carlos, is always good seeing you, man. Uh, Thanks for letting me interrupt every week. I'm not going to come every single week, but I'm going to, I might just drop by to be annoying. Yeah, man. Anytime you want, man, you are always welcome. Cool. But yeah, take care.